0: Every year at Lent, uh, during all three years, we have this very same gospel from all three synoptic authors, which means, obviously, and, 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 and the accounts are very, very similar. There's, usually they, they change quite a bit in, in, from one to the other, but these accounts are all the same because this is a big deal. Jesus is trying to, in many ways, change the minds of the disciples and, in many ways, change our own minds as well. In order to really understand what's, what's going on here, we need to, to put it in context. Context really makes, helps us to make sense out of, a, out, of a, out of a passage that seems to be isolated. It's not an isolated incident. It's coming from a whole bunch of other things. And, and if we go back a little bit, we have that wonderful conversation that Jesus has with his disciples and say, who do you say that I am? And of course, they say Elijah and John the Baptist. And of course, it's Peter who goes beyond the flesh and blood. It's Peter who sees who this really is. And he says, you are, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. And of course, Jesus smiles and he says, yeah, it's not flesh and blood. It's it's my father who's revealed this to you. And then he began to tell them what's going on. What's going to happen. And this is the pattern that is going to be not easy for them to hear. For the son of man is going to be, scorned, rejected, crucified, killed, and raised on the third day. And of course, we know the story. Peter pulls him aside and says, oh, may that never be for you, Lord. Not you, that's other people. And Jesus goes immediately from calling Peter the rock to Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Get out of here. He just doesn't get it. He's got and the reason he doesn't get it is the reason that's so difficult, I think, for, for, for us f- so very often for us not to get it, is that we are caught in narratives and images. Once we are given a narrative, especially if we're given the narrative when we are little children, it's really hard to get out of it. Once we have a, an image, it's really, really hard to get out of it. Now, Jesus is trying to change the narrative. He's saying the son of man the the anointed one the christ god is going to suffer and they have no concept for a god who suffers that doesn't fit into the narrative of the almighty god sitting on the cloud good gravy where is this coming from yeah. so 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 the, it's really almost impossible the, the other thing is the image you know it's m- most of us are still stuck with an image of this bearded white man sitting on a cloud casting out you know lightning and and we know better all right we we really do know better we know that God isn't a man on a cloud sitting on a throne we know that but the image keeps on coming back and of course the image for Peter is is David sitting on the throne, and 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 Solomon sitting, and, and this is going to be the house of David, and it's going to be David ruling forever, and the Messiah is going to, and Jesus, is, ah, I, and he and he tells them over and over and over and over again, and they still don't hear it, so he's going to have to show them. He's going to have to. Jesus at this point becomes a an, an event coordinator. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, weddings have their little... Because when you have a, a wedding and when you have a great celebration, it's an event and it's all about the experience. You go to a fine dining restaurant, it's not just about eating the food, it's about the fine dining experience. He's, gonna, he's trying to coordinate a wonderful experience for them because they're going to need it if they're going to truly follow him. They're, they're going to they're need that experience in order to to do what he is going to literally ask them to do and that is to to follow him on the very same path that he goes see where I go you're going to go as as he so we so he's going to he's going to ha- he's going to have to try to get them get them ready uh he's got he's got to prepare them so he takes them up the mountain and of course the question was you know the, all the great well, the great question was, why, why do mountain climbers climb mountains? And, of course, the, the most famous answer is, because it's there. Yeah. But more than that, I think people climb mountains because it is a challenge. And there is a vision. And they, they knew, know that they've got to go through some trials and tribulations to get to the top. But once they get to the top, they've got what's called a a mountaintop experience. Maslow called it those peak experiences. And when you get to the top of the mountain, the vision is like no other vision in the world. And of course, the vision that the disciples get to see, that John and Peter and, and James get to see, is nothing less than the true revelation of who this, this carpenter from Nazareth really is. And he is transformed, transfigured before their very eyes. And, of course, the, the, the synoptic authors say that his, his face is glowing and his clothing is white and there is a, a, an aura around him and, and they are just besides themselves. And Peter is literally out of his mind because he's, he's going, uh, uh, it's, it's kind of like being at an Irish rake on the third night and they're having such a good time. You know, uh, well, let's let's build three booths, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let's let's stick around, you know, let's stuff him and keep the party going. He's, he's really goofy. And then, of course, the, the, the cloud comes, the voice comes, they fall on their face, they're scared out of their wits. This is the mysterium tremendum effacinosum. Whenever you come in contact with the divine, really come in contact, you can't keep your eyes off of it and you can't even look at it. It, it is so awesome and I think the word awe is really important we are we are becoming a world that is 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 bereft of awe well they are in an awesome situation they 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 don't even they don't know what to do and they hear the voice of God say this this is my son this is my beloved son here's the important part listen to him He's trying to tell them something. He's trying to change them. He's trying to give them a new narrative. He's already given them a brand new image of the greatest, deepest reality of who he really is. And he wants to show them that that same reality dwells in them as well. So as they're coming down the mountain, Jesus says, don't don't tell anybody about this. Well, they can't. And the reason you can't, and of course, you know this yourselves. Whenever you've had a deeply profound mystical experience, and I dare say that the vast majority of everybody I'm speaking to at some point in their life has had a profound experience of the divine, resting in God and God resting in you, an awesome experience. And when you go home or if you come back from a crucio or from a, a retreat and your, your husband or your wife says, well, what was it like? Well, you can't tell them. There are no words. It is beyond description. Now, he does this for a reason. They need this. They need to see this to get them ready to go through what they have to go through. Um, And that's the main event. What he's giving them really is, is, is a trailer. You know, movies today... They always show the trailers, and I, I did little research to find out where they came up with the name trailer. Why do they call trailers when it's something that's going to be coming? It's called the trailer because when you, in the olden days when they had double and triple features at the movie house, after the, the the last main event or the main feature was shown, they would have what was called the trailer. It came after that, and what it was was the coming attractions of things to come. Those of us who are old enough remember that we would go to the Saturday, the Kiddies' matinee every Saturday, and, and there was Gene Autry or, or Tom Mix, and at the end of it, it looks like there are going to be curtains for them, and then, then it, it ended, and they would have the trailer, the coming attractions for the next show. Well, Jesus is trying to give them the, the coming attractions. If, if you are willing to do what I am calling to do, let me tell you about the Holy Communion you are going to experience. He wants to show them who he is under the flesh and why they need to do what they need to do. As I've said, this experience is more common than we want to admit. Uh, I was reading the homily that Martin Luther King gave on the night before he died. And, and he had this mountaintop experience that he wanted to, to share with all, all of the people. He, he saw it. He saw it. And he, and he, and he, and he said to them, I, I, I've been to the top of the mountain. I, I've seen the promised land. He's like Moses. Moses got to the promised land but didn't get in it. But that was that was Okay. It wasn't the end of the world. He said, I may not get there with you. He's not going to get there with him. He has a premonition that something is going to happen, and it's going to happen the very next day as he's going to be assassinated. But he's at peace because he, he knows what he has to go through, and that is his own cross of Christ. He is a little cog in the infinite will of bringing about the kingdom of God. I've seen the promised land. The promised land is the fullness of the kingdom. And yet, here's what we need to believe. The fullness of the kingdom is coming. And when the fullness of the kingdom is coming, the promised land, that's the land where the war is done and the famine is over and hatred is over. And the fullness of life is there. That's coming. But it's not only coming. What do we know about the kingdom? It's coming. It's already here. It's already here for those who have eyes to see, for those who have dared to exert the effort to climb the mountain, to experience the divine. Now, we we say that that's all well and good for Martin Luther King or for Peter and James and John, but outside of Jesus, no one has ever come back from the dead to tell us what it's like on the other side. And that's what he is basically showing the disciples today. And yet, I think, probably within the last 30 years, we we have had people coming back from the dead to tell us what it's like. It wasn't until about 30 years ago that we never heard the term uh, NDE, near-death experience. And I think one of the reasons we never heard it before is because, well, because uh, it was such an indescribable experience, nobody had words for it. And finally, when somebody said, I'm lying on the gurney and they're pounding my heart and I'm floating over there and and I'm seeing exactly what they're doing, and they began to share that experience and, and what happens in the midst of that experience, other people came by and said, well, me too. Me too. I, I, I had that experience too when, when, when I was clinically dead. But it wasn't time yet. And of course, what's the same experience they have? They go through the darkness. Through our walk, we sang in the responsorial psalm, in the valley of darkness. We do walk through the valley of darkness. But we keep our eyes on the prize. We keep our eyes on that mystical experience, that union, that mountaintop that is promised to those of us who are not afraid or ashamed of the cross of Christ, or ashamed to, to cling to the pain, the power, the vulnerability, the courage of what it takes to walk the path. But it is the path of life. And they are able to describe that once they go through that dark tunnel, they, they see a light. And they want to go towards that light. And, and accompanying them very often are our families and friends, those who who urge them on who have already made that crossover. Now, this is Lent. This is the season that we are too called to walk up that mountain to see what we can see. And it is the, the Lenten practices that we do, the, the fasting and the almsgiving and the prayers and the works of mercy that are our that are, are climb up the mountain to what? To see, to be in communion with. But we need to, to be open to it. See, I dare say, I, I really believe We've had many, many more mountaintop experiences than, than we're aware of. You're in, the, in a room and the the baby is gurgling and you see the face of the baby and you're seeing the face of God. Uh, you're reading a, a, a reader to a, a preschool child and their face is just aglow and you are seeing the face of the divine. My godfather's daughter, who is a sister to me, died on my birthday, uh, on Friday. And and while I was saying mass, at the moment she died, I was at St. Michael's saying the morning mass for another friend of mine who also shared a birthday with me who had passed three years ago, and the church lit up. I mean, the church lit up. And I, I didn't know that she had died at that moment, but I did know that I was one with the universe. I was one with God. I was at peace with the Lord. All was well. It wasn't later till I found out that at that that time, at that moment, she had transitioned from this side to the other side. The last three days I've been hearing eighth graders' confessions as they're getting ready for confirmation. Oh, sweet Jesus. (laughs) You have no idea. You don't want to know. But try to remember what it was like being an adolescent girl or boy or parent of one. But, but I gave them all the same penance. I said, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to put a little oil on your head. He's going to give you a little embrace. He used to slap us on the face. But, but that's a ritual. And if you just go for the ritual, nothing's going to happen. So here's your prayer. Your prayer is, Lord, Lord, on the first Pentecost, the Spirit of God came down, and all of the disciples had this incredible mystical experience, and they were on fire and they couldn't shut up. And they went out and told the whole world what they were experiencing. It's an experience, it's not believing in dogmas and doctrines, it's experiencing the living God. I said, You pray for that. You pray for that every night. If you're real, I want to know. I want to feel you. I said it might not happen on your confirmation day, but I promised you: if you keep praying that prayer, if you keep seeking, if you keep climbing the mountain, it's going to happen. Why? Because he told us. Asking you shall receive, seeking you shall find, knocking, it shall be open to you. What's God got to give? God only has one thing to give. God. It's all is in his purse. And the manifestation of God is love and mercy and forgiveness and, and all, that, all that entails the emanation of God. You ask for that, and it is yours. And so we are in this holy season. And, and I the season, and as the weather starts breaking, to go for a walk, to watch nature start to bud, to to allow ourselves to be enthralled. Thralled, enthralled with the divine, which is bursting out all around us. We are all called not to be the daughters and sons of God, walking through the cross, but always to the fullness of life. Keep your eye on the prize, and it will be given to you.